0: hub hopper originals
1: to start your podcast for free log on to studio.hubhopper.com the tom ford story honestly was super unique i was attending a talk that he was doing for the costume society mm-hmm. and uh, i was reading an article on in style magazine which is the sunday Times style magazine i'm sure a lot of people know yeah and um he in the article it was he was talking about this upcoming talk he was doing at the V&A Museum in in London. And it was at the end of the month and, you know, hosted by the Costume Society. I called the Costume Society about 20 times. And they're like, we're so sorry, you have to be a member. And I begged them. I was like, listen, I'm a student. I've written essays on him. I was like, I'll sit at the back, like, I'll make the donation to Costume Society. Please let me come. They finally give me a ticket. I paid for this ticket. I think it was 25 pounds or something. I paid the ticket. And that day of the talk at the v which was in their auditorium, I had an exam that day. So there was no way I was going to make it on time to this talk that Tom Ford was was speaking at with um, a very well-renowned journalist, Colin McDowell. So I'm like, out of all days, I paid for this ticket at 25 pounds, which is a lot of money for a student. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, how am I going to get there? And, you know, honestly, back then, it didn't even think uh, occur to me to take a, um, a taxi because the traffic in London is so bad. As much as my school was based in Mayfair, the direct line to, um, to South Kensington Station was actually super quick. So it's actually faster to take uh, the tube.
0: Hello and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast, where we share hot tips on how to do life and business without losing your mind. I'm your host, Savita Nanjapa, entrepreneur, high-achieving 9-to-5-er-turned transformational success coach, helping you create a wildly successful business. Come hang out with me and other fabulous humans like you every week for stories and chats packed with a healthy dose of tips, resources, how-tos, and real talk. Side effects may include a happier and more confident you with each passing day. Hi, and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast. My guest today is Rosmin, someone who I've been following on Instagram for a long time. I love her fashion sense. I love her style, her classic feminine, elegant style. And today we are going behind the scenes to hear from Rosmin about her journey. It's a fascinating conversation. And before we get into that conversation, I want to take a moment to introduce Rosmin to you. She is an entrepreneur, celebrity influencer, presenter, and media personality. After graduating from London College of Fashion, Rosmin had the good fortune to start her career under the tutelage of fashion maestro Tom Ford. Working as his assistant, Rosmin's early career was a lesson in luxury fashion at its finest where she had the opportunity to learn from the best before making her way steadily up the corporate ladder. With experience across brands like Gucci, Burberry, Sotheby's and Juicy Couture, Rosmin was well established as a fashion insider. As European PR director for Juicy Couture, Rosmin was an integral member of the brand's core team and played a vital role in their diversification outside of the US. At a time when Juicy Couture was valued at a billion dollars, Rosmin was heavily involved in streamlining the brand's identity and worked closely with department stores like Selfridges, Harrods, and Harvey Nichols to set up concessions. She was also instrumental in dressing famous faces such as Gwyneth Paltrow, Madonna, Queen Rania, Kate Moss, Kate Winslet, Jemima Khan, Sienna Miller, Jude Law, Princess Beatrice, among others, in Juicy Couture's iconic loungewear. This was the start of a new era in the brand's global repositioning and Rossmann's media connections Ensure this message was consistently communicated via select publications. She turned entrepreneur in 2007 when she founded her bespoke luxury management company RR and Co, and was the first PR showroom in the region. The agency focuses exclusively on the luxury sector for fashion, beauty, skincare, and jewelry. Acting as an advisory office by tapping into years of Rosman's expertise in London and Milan. In head offices and now translated as digital influencer and brand ambassador for some of the world's leading iconic brands, Rosmin is synonymous with luxury and her image lends these discerning brands a level of refinement that the Middle East clientele is renowned for. For over a decade, the biggest brands in luxury have trusted Rosman to represent their presence in the Middle East. Her impeccable style, a chic fusion of elegance and grace, coupled with the confidence she projects both on stage as well as within more intimate settings have earned her global appeal. Her audience relates to the discreet yet luxurious image that Rosamond has come to be known for. Trusting her to draw on her years of knowledge within the fashion and beauty industry, the well-heeled, identify her natural affinity to luxury. Global luxury brands have trusted Rosman in ambassador roles for over 10 years. Her modest dressing, elegant style, and graceful approach makes her the perfect fit. As a presenter and media personality, Rosamund presents on her fashion segment, Fashion Thursdays, which aired on Dubai One TV as part of the popular lifestyle show Studio One, Firmly cemented her role as fashion expert, further enhancing her profile as a well-respected authority on all things fashion and beauty. As a regular face at events across the UAE, Rosman is invited to host numerous high-profile shows, product launches and other select gatherings within the fashion and beauty realm and is often seen moderating panels as well. Join in as we listen to this fascinating conversation with the elegant Rosman. Hi, and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast. Rosman, I'm honored to have you here. You're a very special guest uh, and a very beautiful, stunning guest too. Thank and you. you're, you're the closest to fashion royalty. I've got Nonita Kalra was uh, on my podcast as well, but you're like, my God, I was looking at your, uh, at your bio and I was like, oh my God, how lucky am I? So thank you for making time and being so generous with your time today. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me and for reaching out. So I'm really honored to be a part
1: of this. And I love supporting female entrepreneurs and storytellers, because I actually think this is the only way the community of women learn from each other and they grow. So it's always great um, sharing my story and, of course, listening to your podcast and hearing from other inspiring ladies.
0: Yeah, Um, I... I want to start off with, while I've read a lot about you and I've done my research, but for my audience, uh, I want to start off with you sharing your journey, starting with, uh, I mean, you can start wherever, but of course, the Tom Ford story is so inspiring, but take us through your journey um, and uh, what brought you into fashion.
1: Uh, So I grew up in a small town, actually. Um, You know, my parents are immigrants from East Africa, so they were um, expelled from East Africa, and my dad was uh, studying and starting his business in in London in the UK. Mm-hmm. My sister was three in East Africa, so you know the story. Honestly, now that I reflect back, it actually starts back back then because even though I wasn't born, when you have these kind of traumatic incidences that happen in your family, you start seeing this uh, the skill set of hard work and starting from scratch and what your family has to do to to get back on their feet. So they decided to actually immigrate to Canada along with, um, my dad has a lot of brothers and sisters and Canada was a place where most of them were were placed. And so they actually um, all decided, most of them decided to move between Toronto and London, Ontario. And that's where my brother and I were born. Mm -hmm. And it actually was a perfect example of seeing both and not just my dad actually, seeing my mom and dad work work to get their feet back on the ground to build their business to have financial security until my my brother and my sister like my brother and myself were born. And so I think that was the first part of having that basic skill set because I really believe that everything you go through in life is preparing you for where you are today. And so I grew up in London, Ontario and one of the best parts about being in a small town is that everyone's very involved with everything. So, um, you know, I'm from the Ismaili Agakani community, we had a small Jamaat mosque. And the best part about that is that, you know, you you have a sense of community, but everything you do and you volunteer, everyone knows each other, you do these things from a very young age. So whether it's public speaking or going on stage or, uh, you know, cleaning the mosque, whatever it is, everyone's doing these things. And I think it's really important to really emphasize uh, that kind of skill set because as you grow on in life to be an entrepreneur you end up indirectly doing yeah. everything right yeah. so my dad had a, a convenience store it was one of his first businesses before divulging into accounting and, and the property market so he had a convenience store and I would go in there and my dad would always say Brisbane you're always eating the profits because my brother and I would just go in and eat all the chocolates you know when we first moved in we were really young but one of the first things I was attracted to were these magazines like Vogue W Um, town and country. And I was just so visually excited about turning those pages, even if I didn't understand what the fashion was. I love the fashion photography. I love the styling. And so I think that was the first eye opener, to be honest, because what I was doing is my sister is 11 years older than me. She was my ultimate fashion icon. You know, my sister had the height. She was Gorgeous, she was stylish, and um, so I always kind of looked up to her. And I'd sneak in her room and wear the high heels. Okay. And her and I would, would keep these, you know, issues of Vogue, and which you know only till later in life we realized we had these issues from like the '80s. Um, and I think that was like the first time I started to really realize that I had this creative flair. Going forward, as a young kid, I would take dolls and I would literally rip the clothes apart, and I would beg my mom to take me to a fabric store, and I loved touching and feeling fabrics. And I, one of the first gifts my mom got me was a sewing machine. So she taught me how to use a sewing machine and I started making uh, clothes for for dolls. And then as as things progressed, you know, I would buy clothes, whether it was from Clemonic or wherever it was, you know, And I would look at something and be like, okay, the structure is really nice, but you know, a line doesn't look good on my body and I would take it and go back to my sewing machine and make it into a straight cut. So I think all these little things start, you start realizing that, okay, this is kind of where my passion lies. And then fast forward, I was in high school at 16 and we had an annual fashion show, but um, coming from a small town, the fashion show was there to not only fundraise for like sports and stuff in the school, but it was really to support the local retailers. Mm-hmm. And um, I told the organizers, I'm like, I want to design my own collection. And all of like the girls that were older, like the senior girls, they were the models. And I had them come in and, I made my first kind of collection of dresses and that was the first time I realized I hated pattern cutting. I hated (laughs) fabrics. As much as I love designing it, I had more fun doing the styling. I had more fun really doing that tweaking of it, but I hated sitting at a a sewing machine. Um, And then, you know, throughout, you know, uh, throughout throughout kind of my teenage years, I started part-time working in different retailers and stores and I started understanding what I liked about fashion and what my what my kind of skill set was, and I, I really liked working with customers. I wanted to hear what their feedback was. Um, I liked I worked at Club Monaco in the head office it was a summer job, and I loved kind of building their new brand. And so I started realizing what it's like to be not only on the shop front but also behind the scenes as well. So fast forward for university, I. Um, my dad wanted me to go into business. So I applied to all the schools he wanted me to go to. And then my sister helped me put my portfolio together and apply to London College of Fashion, which is now University of Arts. Yeah. And um, I got accepted there for fashion management. And I specialized in luxury goods and marketing. Okay. And I did a few courses at Central St. Martin's. Uh, but I realized I think it's that proper Indian in me that has a business side. <laughs> so I realized I was really good at the marketing and the business and commercial side more than I was um, the design.
0: Okay. Wow. And then, um, I mean, you had a very, I think it's been a nice slow uh, journey into fashion. It's not been something, you know, some people do like, they go to engineering, and then suddenly they don't want to do that. And then they go in a different direction. But yours has always been in the same ecosystem in the same space um yeah and
1: i I think one of the sorry no not sorry to interrupt you but i think one of the most important things about my journey is that when i moved to london you know i never dreamed i would live so far from my parents my parents are now based in toronto and i always thought i would move to new york because we'd go to new york all the time so new york to me is like second home you know i just love that city so i told my parents i was like please let me try europe and then i'll you know i'll work in new york i'll be an hour away from you So when I went to London, my mindset was that I'm going to leave in three years and I want to be a sponge. I want to absorb everything in the city. I will say my real passion, which still is my passion, is arts. I love art history. I love, um, you know, just like contemporary elements. So for me, my passion was arts and fashion. I think all of that is truly aligned. It is kind of in that same ecosystem. So. I had part-time jobs when I was in university and that was doing everything from uh, working at Sotheby's on Bond Street on projects. I worked at Prada on Sloan Street. I interned um, at like, where did I intern? Yeah, that's uh, Burberry head office. So I, I was a showroom assistant. So I was actually like serving, like serving coffees to the buyers and all of that. And then um, I started realizing, like, what, what it is to wholesale clothes, right? You start understanding when you start working in head offices. And I, I started working with my, um, one of the students as well, who we were both kind of literally just for a few hours serving coffees to buyers from Bergdorf's and all of that. But because you're constantly interning and constantly doing these student jobs... It is the best experience anyone can do. And I say this to students now is do as many internships as possible because Uh, it's kind of like trial and error. You start seeing what your strengths are because, you know, as much as I love design, I wasn't good enough to to you know design my own collection like I knew that right like but what I was good at was I had a commercial side to myself I could look at a collection I could dissect it and tell you what's great for editorial what's going to be great on the commercial floor but that only comes through through experience Mm -hmm. and the Tom Ford story honestly was super unique I was attending a talk that he was doing for the costume society Mm-hmm. And uh, I was reading an article on in Style Magazine, which is a Sunday Times style magazine. I'm sure a lot of people know. Yeah. And um, he, in the article, it was he was talking about this upcoming talk he was doing at the VA Museum in, in London. And it was at the end of the month and, you know, hosted by the Costume Society. I called the Costume Society about 20 times and they're like, we're so sorry, you have to be a member. And I, Beg them I was like listen I'm a student I've written essays on him I was like I'll sit at the back like I'll make the donation to the costume society please let me come they finally give me a ticket I pay for this ticket I think it was 25 pounds or something I paid the ticket and that day of the talk at the v which was in their auditorium I had an exam that day so there was no way I was going to make it on time to this talk that Tom Ford was was speaking at with um a very well-renowned journalist Colin McDowell so I'm like out of all days I paid for this ticket at 25 pounds which is a lot of money for a student yeah, yeah. and I was like how am I gonna get there and you know honestly back then it didn't even think uh, occur to me to take a um a taxi because the traffic in London is so bad as much as my school was based in Mayfair the direct line to um to south kensington station was actually super quick so it was actually faster to take uh, the tube i was running to the to the vna and i crossed the street of course the vna has no elevators by the way you have to take the stairs to like the sixth floor seventh floor to the auditorium i run up there huffing and puffing and i open the door and this woman just grabs me and she's wearing black and she goes the talk has started please sit down and she grabs me and i end up sitting next to her so I'm watching, you know, Mr. Ford speak. And at the end, she, you know, the lights go on and, and he's greeting everyone. And she goes, what are you doing here? You're like the youngest person in the room. You know, cause the Costume Society is literally yeah. like, you know, older, uh, quite older, older people. And so she was like, you're so young. What are you doing here when the lights went on? And I said, you know, I'm such a, like, you know I really admire this man and I've written essays on him and I've done all these projects on Gucci group. And I, I just wanted to meet him and listen to him speak firsthand. So I said, so I introduced myself and I was like, Oh, my name is Roseman, And, you know, I'm sitting at the London College of Fashion. And she goes, my name's Kat and I'm the PR director for Gucci for the UK. And I was like, nice. So she gives me her card and I said, I want to work for you. And she goes, well, email me your resume. So the first thing I did, I got home, typed up a resume and emailed her. And at three o'clock the next day, she invited me for a coffee. And I started interning at the Gucci press office. And. If you can imagine back then, there was no, you know, there was nothing really online. Newspapers and reviews were all done by, by actual Thanks. printed newspapers. Yeah. You had to go at five in the morning, pick up the papers, cut everything, tape it, fax it. Um, it was very old school back then, but it was such an eye opener. And um, one fast forward of me working random hours. So I would be working there between class in the morning or after, after school. And uh, one day they were working on a project and Mr. Ford calls and he goes, you know, I need this, you need this painting for this dinner, uh, get one of your interns to run it over and the Gucci head office was around the corner. And so they go, Roseman, you know, Mr. Ford wants this, you got to run and I swear I have never held that painting so tight. <laughs> and um, And I ran across the street and uh, we just kind of clicked. And I think the thing with Mr. Ford is that he's very much into NOGs as well. So we kind of just clicked on that very first day. And he goes, you're a fashion student. And we started talking and I'm like, yep, I'm finishing my, you know, finishing my uh, school. And we had this conversation and he just kind of went along and that was it. And it was kind of this amazing moment for me. You know, it wasn't for him. Like he probably didn't know who I was. I was just an intern, but ironically, I must've made an impression on him because he called my boss and said, you know, I'm looking for an assistant and I want Rosman. Wow. I was in second year university and, um, and he asked about me, he said, how does she work? And she goes, you know, her work ethic is, you know, on point. She works hard. She's here at five in the morning when it's showtime, she's working late, you know, whether it's an event or packing samples and, um, uh, she picks up phones. Like I was doing everything in that office just to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but the thing is like, because I was doing that and I didn't say, you know, I'm not picking up a phone call or I'm not picking up a bag or I'm not coming early during showtime. She valued that, right? So she recognized something in me. And so when he was looking for an assistant to join his office, like literally right next to him, his desk, my, when my name came up and he asked for me, I said, I'm in second year university. I can't, I can't leave school. I have to finish and get my degree. And um, everyone was like, Leave school, leave school. And I knew myself. I was like, I I need to get my degree, otherwise, I probably wouldn't go back. But he said, he goes, You know, whenever you're done school, call my office. And if there's a spot available, it's yours. And that's what I did. I handed in my dissertation, and Monday morning, I was working for it. Wow. So I know it's a long story, but it, you know, I feel like through that story, there's a lot of examples of hard work and loyalty and showing up. I think it's really important to just show up, when you have an opportunity presented to you, you got to just grab it. And, um, and so I just feel, you know, I'm 41 now. And I look back, and I really do believe that all these little moments have added to where
0: I am today. Wow, such a fascinating story. And it's incredible. I feel like, I feel like this is uh, in movies, right? You see all this in movies. And you know what, you're reminding me a lot of, I don't know, you must have got this a lot the bold type is on netflix right now <laughs> and, and i'm Netflix? you have to actually
1: my brother is on that show you have to watch him i think he's on an episode he's an actor
0: wow okay so there is <laughs> there is this girl called sutton this character and she's exactly like this she's a stylist she's she didn't want to do uh, be a designer she thought she wanted to but i mean so resonating so much but more than that i think what stands out for me is uh not just you showing up but You're saying yes to opportunities, that's one, but you know, like not giving up, even if somebody said no, like making that call 20 times, the work ethic, that's amazing. And that's what we want everyone to keep going. Even when you hear no, you will get rejected every day in business, but to be able to keep going, that's so powerful. Oh my God, that was such a wonderful story. Uh, And it really feels like, it's so fascinating to hear. So when you worked with him, just continuing from that yeah. because I've read so much about his work ethic and how, um, you know, especially when um, I think when he did the movie and Julianne Moore did this interview. So what do you say was like a few things that you took away from that experience? What did you learn from working you know, with him? I was I was with Gucci for, for five years
1: and I will say, and I've said it in several interviews that I learned more from him directly than I did in university, because no one can teach you those kind of skills. And whether you call them uh, soft skills or hard skills, to watch someone manage a team, um, style, design, be so decisive. That was one of the things, you know, as a strong leader, you need to be decisive. When he makes a decision, he stands by it. And what happens is as a leader, when you make that decision, then everyone else falls into place. If you're a leader who's indecisive, you're not taking the troops with you, right? So Mm -hmm. that's what I loved about it, And he really taught me how to narrow my eye in when you look at a collection, because a collection can be like two, 300 pieces, if anything. But he knew how to be like, okay, this is what's going to work in the store. This is what's going on the runway. You know, this is what we're sending to editorial and magazines. When it comes to celebrities, this is what's going to pop. When I'm doing a fashion show, the white dress goes right in the middle at halftime. And that's kind of the aha moment of the show. And Everything was just so visual, but, you know, to watch him manage multiple brands, um, his personal life, his, just the way he managed the team and inspired everyone was just honestly incredible. And I honestly have learned so much from him. He's truly is a mentor for me. Yeah. Was it hard to leave Gucci? Actually, it happened. Uh, so when, in 2004, the company was taken over by CaringBulls. So he had to leave and um, it was actually a really tough decision because I was deciding if I was going to go back to New York or, uh, uh, you know, there was a job, great job opportunity that came in New York. And then, you know, in London was just started to become really home for me. So it was really hard to leave. And I went for all these interviews from British Vogue to Louis Vuitton, I went to all these interviews. And in the end, Gucci offered me a job to move to Milan with the women's wear design team. And so I, just dabbed into the women's wear design to see if I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So I moved to Milan for a year with the new team and, you know, the new creative director for women's wear. Um, And I remember calling him and I said, what should I do? Like, what should I do? And he said, you know, Roseman, you're, you're young, you're 24. You're never going to pack up and ever go to another country like Italy, you know, like, he's like, I lived in Italy. He's like, go enjoy it. You know, work with the design team, be a part of like the factories and, the actual fabrics and that kind of one-on-one, and he goes, just try it. And when I got his blessing, I literally just packed up and moved to Italy with the team. But it was actually a really good time for him as well, because as much as he was starting Tom Ford Beauty, he took a, a time out as well to really just relax. And I think he was burnt out for so many years. So um, I, did, I did Gucci for a year. Um, Gucci, you know, Milan head office for a year, so
0: yeah. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. Stay tuned as we take a quick break and we'll see you on the other side of the show. So when did the presenter now, like we're going to different years in your uh, career journey, when did you start moving into being a presenter? I do have a question about Hollywood celebrity before that, but I'll come back to this. So I think... uh,
1: yeah, I mean, um, presenter actually just happened really organically, I guess. organically, yeah, because, you know, growing up, um, I used to do a lot of stuff on stage, but my brother is the one who, who does all the big, big shows, and he really trained me to kind of perfect my um, voice and breathing and, and the presence on stage. So, you know, a lot of the credit goes to him because he's just always been a natural talent, and, and he used to have his own show in Canada, and now he lives in LA, and he's an actor. So I think there was something probably a part of you know genetically we kind of had that presence on stage we were always doing things um but I think honestly it happened organically especially in Dubai when I moved to Dubai about 15 years ago um you know I got a tv show Dubai tv called me and they were like you know no one has your experience when it comes to fashion and dealing with designers and red carpets and you know a proper background in this field and he goes and the director at the TV station, they told me they're like, we need someone who has an authoritative voice in the industry. And they're like, Can we give you 15 minutes of airtime every Thursday? So I was like, okay, so that's what I was doing. I was live on air, I was talking about fashion, beauty, red carpet, events that were happening um around the globe, covering the Dubai Film Festival as well as other events. And that's kind of how it started. So the show kind
0: of kicked off um, my career here.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, awesome. And you started your consulting company uh, a little later. Was it at the same time that, that you were doing presenting and? It was. So I, um, I
1: used to travel to Dubai for the past, I don't know, 20 something years. I would come here on the weekends and it was kind of a, a break because if you know London, it's so gray yeah. and rainy. So they had this amazing flight on Emirates, which was 10 p.m. from the UK to Heath, from Heathrow. And you could come back on Monday morning at like 6 a.m. So a lot of us would come to Dubai, get some sun, hang out on the beach, because you could work all day on a Friday, take the 10pm flight, have a great weekend in Dubai, just sitting on the beach and then coming back. So I started knowing my bearings of the UK and and working at Gucci, we'd already opened a few stores. And I mean, and prior to that, in 06, I joined joined Juicy Couture because it was... (laughs) yeah Yeah, so I joined Juicy they were in a a position of rebranding and I was living in Milan I moved back to London and I took the position of um, PR director for Europe and Middle East and it was my job really was to rebrand Juicy Couture for that region and for globally actually with the team in, in New York and LA and so I was with two other ladies so one was the GM of the company myself and then we had an office manager and if you can remember juicy couture in the early 2000s it was valued at a billion dollars on the new york stock exchange it just got bought um, up by this clay i mean it was the brand to know and it was um, everywhere and it was yeah everywhere, was everywhere. Yeah. and so i used all my celebrity contacts from gucci everyone from queen rania uh gwyneth paltrow wow. uh, just kind of everyone, i mean kate moss everyone i could think of that i had on my database uh princess beatrice and like all of them i started sending them Clothes. I started seeding them with product because we were getting away from the from the tracksuits suits and creating ready to wear. And so, again, because I had a trained eye, I could see kind of what would look good on each girl. And I would send them curated packages for their families. And I started seeing them wearing it. And all of them would send me a message back going, "Okay, Roseman, we never thought Juicy was something that we wear. Or the jeans are so comfortable, or the jackets are so comfortable." And all of a sudden, in the UK, Queen Rania had a, her child's her son's baby photo for a birthday and all of them were wearing juicy couture shirts matching shirts like that was the family portrait that was out then there was another picture of Kate Moss on the cover of Daily Mail wearing a juicy couture trench coat that I had gifted her and they were like nope she's not wearing Burberry and it was like these were like the headlines you know and then in American Vogue magazine there was a picture of Kate Moss wearing juicy couture sunglasses and so all of a sudden everyone was like who is this girl who has transformed juicy because we were bringing out all these categories. I reported directly to the two creative directors based in LA, Pam and Gila. And they just kind of gave me free reign to really change the brands. So we started opening concessions in Harrods and Selfridges. And uh, I started building the PR offices across Europe and Milan and Paris and you know, created a vision of what we wanted this brand to be. So I was there for about a year and a half and we worked nonstop. So we brought out categories for men, kids, homeware, we had a great showroom in Mayfair and it was just a really cool experience. And um, fast forward to 2007, Mm -hmm. I came to Dubai and um, was sorting out a house here and I was here for three weeks and while I was in Dubai, I got started getting all these calls from people who are my ex-colleagues. And they were like, Brisbane, you're in Dubai. And I was like, nah, i am here for three weeks. We're just sorting out this house. And they're like, listen, can you do me a favor? Can you, can you go into Jimmy Choo and just tell me uh, what the service is like? Can you go into Chanel? Tell me what the service is like. And so basically all my ex-colleagues were all, had moved, they'd all left Gucci obviously. And they are all working for different brands and they just didn't want to travel. They're like, would you mind just telling me like, you know, is the visual merchandising right? Is the, um, you know, do the, does the sales staff know what a Ramona bag is? Do they know who Tamara Mellon is? And all these kind of questions, because if you can imagine 15, 20 years ago in an emerging market, you never had joint ventures. You, ha- you just franchised your brand, right? So you really didn't know what yeah. was happening. The only thing you would see is what the sell-throughs were. Yeah. So the brands, the head offices in Paris and London and New York would be like, oh, this brand is doing great. We have 90% sell-through, but they don't realize that there's sale signs everywhere. The store's a mess or the staff hadn't yeah. been trained. So I started doing this mystery shopping essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd email them back and not even like a formal email. I'd be like, hey, just so you know, you know, this is how she described the bag or this is what the merchandising was or I think you're missing more classic styles. Or I just kind of give feedback, helping my friends. And then one day I get a call from Tiffany's in New York and the gentleman calls me and he goes, hi, I'm the VP of, you know, marketing, global marketing. And uh, you know, I got your number through X, Y, and Z. And he goes, I heard you have a consultancy firm in Dubai. And I was like, what? And he goes, well, we want to hire you and we want you to open our store in Dubai's largest mall, which is Dubai Mall. He's like, it's opening up in six months. We want you to train the staff. We want you to do the PR. We want you to, you know, um, host the, the CEO and the gemologist and the famous yellow diamond. And Come up with a concept and let me know and this is how much we're paying you and i was like what <laughs> and i kind of just sat there and i was like oh my god i have a business like you know we, we came up with the concept and we sent it to them they loved it the idea was um breakfast at tiffany's so it was like a ladies breakfast with you know the top socialites then we did a concept from new york to dubai and like we did a scaffolding of all of new york as you enter to the dubai store with the blue carpet and it was kind of like, we just changed the way PR was done. So, and I remember when we sent him the proposal, he messages me back and he goes, what's the name of your company again? And I didn't even think of a company. I was like, oh, you know, I go, okay, well, it's, you know, RR and Cove, bespoke luxury management. And I just came out because it was just my name. And I go, oh my God, I guess I have to register this company. So the next day I end up opening a company starting it from my living room. And then it kind of just grew. And we did this event and it just really put us on the map because in Dubai back then, everything was so big. You know, if it was a party, it was a million dollars minimum. It was 500 people or a thousand people. And everything that I learned from Tom Ford was all about brand management. It's like the right people. It's super niche. It's an ultimate experience for the clients. And that's how we started getting all these brands. So everyone came on board from uh, Christian Louboutin was my friend. He called me, he's like, Roseman, I'm opening my store in Dubai or the Middle East. You're handling my PR. So he came on board, Tom Ford, Givenchy, Kara Ross, um, Paspali, Graf Diamonds. I mean, everyone just came on board because I think they just knew that I was, my way of thinking was very much about brand management and, and making sure their brand was aligned with what's happening in, in their country uh, and then adding a regional spin to it. So it was actually like a a crazy few years and it really put us on the map. Um, And we were actually the first showroom to, to open. So no one had samples here. We were the first ones that had samples for Christian Louboutin. We were the first ones that had samples for Tiffany. So when magazines and editors were shooting, Hmm. They all wanted to use our product because they're like, oh, you have samples for Celine or you have samples for Givenchy. Like we don't want to use retail stock because if it gets damaged, obviously we have to pay for it. So um, yeah, R and Co. took off and we had the company, the PR side of the business for six years. Wow.
0: So you're someone who's very, very easy to listen to because you you describe everything very beautifully. So I can see where the presenter in you comes out here. It's it's like you have and your voice is beautiful so i can listen to you forever and i may have to do a part two but quickly jumping on uh how hard or what's behind the scenes of styling a hollywood celebrity or any celebrity is it any different from styling anyone
1: no i think i think what people have to always get it right whether you're styling for yourself or anyone else is undergarments are very important okay very important and i always tell women i'm like That nude seamless underwear is not the sexiest underwear, but everyone should have it. So, I always say Mm. invest in good undergarments because that can actually change the whole look. Yeah, Um, investing in good shoes that you can walk in, but it's always about the body shape. And I think a lot of people get carried away where they see a trend and they want to be a part of that trend and wear it. But if it doesn't suit your body shape, it's not going to do any justice and it'll look more like a disaster than anything. So, I, I don't look at a celebrity or a a normal person if I'm working with someone or if they ask me for my advice because I always think body shape occasion dressing for the occasion is really important Mm -hmm. Um, I know some people always try and do the opposite so they get attention but I think if you're even going to a dinner party and the host asks everyone to wear white or you know have a formal gown I think it's really important to respect the host you know so whether you're going to the Oscars or Golden Globes like it's a long dress and that's what it is so it's better to stick to the, the dress
0: code and be respectful. Okay. And uh, I I don't know if I should ask, but do you have a favorite uh, for styling or you have many, it's hard to pick one. I'm sure that is the case, but. For, for design favorite, or celebrity? You no, know, a favorite celebrity that you like to style.
1: No, I mean, I've had a lot of opportunities that they've come to the region to work with other stylists who want to you know, wear products that we represent, but. Okay. Um, you know, I, I love fashion, so I love seeing how, how people style things together. And I think it's really important, also not even for a celebrity, but just for yourself to always add your own personal touch.
0: Yeah, you have great personal style. Uh, I love watching your pictures. And um, while I'm going to ask you that before we close, I have just a few more questions to get to. Yeah. Number one is, okay, so I have a flair for fashion maybe and I love fashion. But if I want to make a career in fashion, what are some questions? And it could be anything within the ecosystem. What are some important questions that one should ask themselves, whether they want to make a career or build a business in fashion?
1: I think you have to understand that the fashion industry is very big. It's not just design. It's not just marketing or PR. If you're great at numbers, there's so many places for whether it's logistics or merchandising or buying. So I think that's really important as well. I tell everyone, whether you are starting a business or you want to enter an industry is do a SWOT analysis on yourself, just in really the strengths and weaknesses, If you can do that, honestly, for yourself, write it in a notepad and be like, these are what my strengths are. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is where I feel like I shine. Hmm. And these are my weaknesses. And where do you want to get to? So if it is a business, what is your business model? What, What do you want to achieve? What is that product? And then on the side, honestly, do a SWOT analysis of yourself. So when you see the gaps of where it is on that chart, that's how you know how to build your team. Because you don't want to have emotional attachment to your team, because you want to, you need people that are going to help you build your vision. So even for me, when I, when I opened RR&Co, the first thing I did, I did a SWOT analysis. And I I realized my strength was with the people, was with the clients, so dealing with the designers on a daily basis. I mean, they were on speed dial, they're calling me seven days a week, whenever they needed something. And I knew my team, you know, they weren't going to take those calls at random hours and different time zones. But my relationships were with the designers directly. So that was the first thing. The second thing, I wasn't a strong enough writer. So I was like, okay, I need a really good copywriter who's going to help me write the press releases. I need someone who's going to be a great office manager, who's going to organize the showroom. So someone who has great, you know, skills with organization and sign outs and follow up. So I started building it out I needed an accountant to do the finances because that's a full-time job so once you start seeing where the gaps are in your business that's how you start hiring and yeah. then these people should help you
0: yeah. build
1: your vision yeah. and execute it
0: yeah I think it's the same like I said it just doesn't have to be fashion but any business this would have
1: any been. business yeah
0: yeah okay and um what have been some okay what have been some challenging moments if you can just share one or two and how did you deal with them like what's your approach to challenges i mean i know that now with the story of how you got started um but, but you want me to
1: tell you a funny story i'll tell you a funny story with tom okay. ford and the reason why i always bring it back because i started with tom in when i was a second year of university right fast forward all those years later And I started this small business. So I started from my home. And as it got bigger, I opened my first office and then my second, you know, the bigger showroom. And I get a call from from his office in London. And he goes, you know, Roseman, I want to jump on a call with you. So I have a call with him and 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 his PR manager. And he goes, I'm opening in Dubai Mall. It's our first flagship store. And this is who I'm signing with as a franchise partner. I want you to run the... The pr and marketing for it in addition to that this is the date i'm coming to dubai i want you to organize my you know press dinner my store opening all my interviews etc so all of that so we were handling the pr this is someone who didn't interview 10 different pr companies or anyone else because he knew exactly how i was trained because i learned yeah. from him right yeah. he trusted me explicitly he like I know the drink he drinks I know what he likes you know what he likes to eat I know how he is when he's with a crowd I know how much space he needs I know how many how much time he needs to take a break I know what he likes to do when it comes to like I knew everything about this person because he was my mentor and honestly for me that was that kind of aha moment that tipping point because if you're someone you work for can come back to you and say I want to be your client." That was a moment of validation for me that I knew I was on the right path and knew I was working hard I knew that my hard work and loyalty, and all those other aspects counted for something because he still remembered all those years to to actually just be like, Richmond, I trust you I want you to handle this for me. Yeah. So. Um, it was actually a really special moment when, you know, when we hosted his store opening and and his dinner and, you know, he made his first trip here. So it,
0: it was kind of this kind of really grateful moment for me. Sure. Oh, oh, and I keep thinking like you have so many of these moments, right? But it's all down to you, who you are and your the way you approach work. And I think like you rightly know, obviously, you're a people person. So what does a day in your life look like? So no today
1: is ever the same. Sure. Um, for me, it's about being very, very organized. And you know, now I, I work for myself. I do a lot of hosting and emceeing. And I have a small talk show, uh, which I interview yeah. female entrepreneurs. And then a lot of brands invite me, whether it is to be like more of a brand ambassador role and shoot for the brand, or like, I guess stroke model for the brand. And then other times I'm doing reader events or, or hosting for, for luxury brands. And it's so nice because I like the idea of change. And so I like that I, I kind of have an overview of what my week is like, and honestly, no two days are ever, ever the same. So um, I try and squeeze in maybe like two sessions of Pilates a week, just for a little bit of reset and to relax. But um yeah, I don't have a a nine to five job right now. And I love working with different people and and bouncing ideas and um, watching brands grow and flourish.
0: I'm sure that it does. I mean, behind the scenes, there is some work that you do around content creation. It's not as easy, I think, but you make it sound easy. But do you consciously spend time on building your social media, building your Instagram? Or it's very organic and you just post um, as and when and how you feel?
1: Um, so there's a few, bra- I mean, honestly, there's a few brands that I'm on contract with that, um, are brands that I definitely use and wear, whether it's skincare or mm. jewelry or fashion. Um, but I don't take pictures every day. So for me, I'll, if I'm filming my show, I'll have the photographer will shoot a little bit of extra content for me, like a few different looks. Yeah. And then I use it because I actually don't have time to do hair and makeup every day or all of that. So yeah. for me, social media is not my bread and butter. It's not the first thing for me. Yeah. Um you know, R and Co, which is like the consultancy side of the business, is my first uh everyday job. And that kind of includes the media side, so the presenting and all of that. And social media is really the second layer because a lot of people, you know, if they want to catch an interview or see what I'm doing or oh. ask me questions, they they do go through, you know, Rosamond's world. So yeah. Okay.
0: So I think it's very organic. That's, that's what I'm hearing.
1: Um, yeah. and
0: I think for you, like I've been following, strangely I've been following you for the last three years. And Thank I you. Just, <laughs> the reason why it's strange is because I never thought someday I would be talking to you because you're like this glamorous, beautiful, stylish woman. Mm-hmm. Like, what is she wearing? Like where is she getting it? And then fast forward, I just like, I think this is right. And we need to hear you and your story and what, You're like such a mystery sometimes, Uh, at least because I'm a follower, I guess for a fan who's just following you, it's like that. So that's uh, what your life looks like on a day-to-day basis. So is there a mantra that you live by? Is there something that you'd like to share uh, about your attitude towards life?
1: I think my attitude towards life is do everything in moderation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is for everything, whether it's dieting or food or... Exercise, I mean, I hate exercising. I just have to force myself to do it. But you know, I realized like I actually enjoy Pilates. Like I was killing myself trying to do something in the gym where it just wasn't me and I would hate it. So then I finally found something I love mm. and or that I enjoy doing. So and I think so everything is honestly in moderation, even when it comes to food, I don't want to stop eating the chocolate I like or. Desserts or whatever. So I'm like, okay, rather than eating the whole cake, I'm going to have one slice and I'm just going to enjoy it. So for me, everything is moderation. Okay. Um, I love to travel, but I, I want to get excited to travel. So I like going on holiday when I know I've worked really hard and I feel like I deserve that break.
0: Hmm. Okay, that's a nice attitude. Um, <laughs> and finally, uh, last two questions How do you describe your personal style? Uh, and- oh. My personal style would be.
1: Sorry, my personal style would be um, feminine, classic with a twist of trend. Okay. So I, I, I do like I love dresses. I love adding like a little bit of trendy things per season. But honestly, I, I dress more on the conservative, modest side. So you know, you won't see me with super low cleavage or backless or any of these things. Like I might wear shorts, but I'll always wear like a blazer or a long sleeve top. I'll always balance it out. Um, I'll wear sleeveless, but I I don't wear backless and stuff. So for me, like my style is just very me. And I think that's another important point for people that are listening is to know what your personal brand is. You know, so even when I do brand collaborations, doesn't matter how big the brand is, I tell them in advance in the contract that I don't have, you know, my bust out or like I I have to be in something that I am comfortable in it's never super tight that I can't breathe it's never super form-fitting like I really kind of stay true to my style
0: and that's what I'm most comfortable in yeah yeah I think that's a great point about building your personal brand because people it's about being authentic and being comfortable and being yourself and not being someone that you know that doesn't work for you and finally my last question it's been such an amazing conversation and i really don't want to stop this but uh, my last question is your advice to female entrepreneurs i suspect it may be the same for both but what is one piece of advice or your advice to them
1: i think for entrepreneurs in general is really know what you want to communicate and be very clear about that so and be your authentic self people will see right through you you know in the beginning everything's exciting but when that business grows you need to be authentic know what your brand values are and it's okay if they change along the way but really have a clear defined vision for your brand
0: and for you yeah well said and thank you so much. We come to the end of this interview. I know that I've already taken a lot of your time. No, I'm so
1: happy to talk to you, and it was so nice to be on your podcast. And thank you for always highlighting exciting women on your on your podcast.
0: Thank you. Our podcast is mainly female oriented. Actually, we have about 52k listeners now, and most of them are women. And now it's growing, so I'm very excited for it. And I'm very excited. To have- Yeah, I will, I will share the link, but um, I think we'll definitely get to part two. But before I let you go, one last one, what's next for you for this year?
1: Well, I am definitely seeing my family. I haven't seen them in um, a year and a half. Yeah. So I'm super excited to travel to the States and to Canada, to Toronto, to see them. Um, So my brother's in LA, and so I just want a few weeks with him on the beach and hanging out with some friends, and then I'll go see my parents. And then i think september i mean it's been such a crazy unprecedented year not only for myself for everyone globally so it's been really hard to plan i think that's been the hardest part but i think for anyone setting up businesses making sure you invest in technology you want to be able to communicate to your consumer to your community um i think that's kind of where things are going forward and um I don't know. Hopefully we'll have something exciting to share with you in the fall when we do part two, but I would, yes. yeah, always happy I to see
0: so. you. I hope so. Thank you so much, Rosman. You've been really such a beautiful, lovely experience talking to you and you're such a great presence. Uh, thank you for being on the show and I will uh, share with you all the um, links and everything when we come out and I hope to stay connected. If there's anything I can do, if there's anything that um or we can do to like take this forward pay it forward or in any way please let me know uh, i'm again honored to have you on the show and all the best to you i'll be watching your journey of course and all the very best to you thank you for listening to the podcast if you like this episode and you want more you can go to the show notes on my website which is successwithsavita.com forward slash podcast if you like what you've heard so far, I would be grateful to you if you could leave me a 5-star review, subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend who may find this useful. You can also follow me on my Instagram at successwithsavita and DM me any questions you may have and I will be happy to answer them for you. Until the next episode, believe in yourself and all the best to your success. This is original. Thank you for listening.